Good morning. Good morning. It's so wonderful to see all of you that are here in person, and we'd like to also welcome those who are watching and joining us uh, via the internet all over the world. And so we just want to say we are glad that you're here. And our goal is, is that by coming together and encouraging each other in this way, in song and prayer and remembrance and studying God's Word, that we will go out more committed to live in a way that honors and glorifies our God this week. As Greg said when he welcomed all of us, December is here, the last month of 2020. It's been a tough year, but I'm so glad that December is here because December offers a lot, and a lot of it has to do with Christmas. You know, December offers cooler temperatures, which we here in Texas really enjoy. You begin to see lights in your neighborhood as you drive around. It's so festive. And you hear that sweet bell, ding, 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 when you go into stores and when you come out of stores. Uh, December's special because it's the season of Christmas. And I don't know about for you, but for me, one of the most enjoyable parts of this Christmas season is the music. I really enjoy being able to hear uh, just the Christmas songs this time of year, and it really makes it very, very special, kind of unlike some of the other holidays that we celebrate throughout the year. So getting ready for this lesson, I decided to do a little bit of uh, research on some of the songs that we sing, just some interesting facts. And I found out that Jingle Bells was originally written for Thanksgiving. Yeah. And it, uh, it was first titled, The One Horse Open Sleigh. And there's something else extra that's special about Jingle Bells, is that it's the first song that was broadcast from outer space. It was on Gemini 6, and Tom Stafford and Wally Shearer got together and had a harmonica and some bells, and they played Jingle Bells from Gemini 6. I found out that White Christmas is the best-selling Christmas song of all time. And for those of you who are math experts and love equations and doing math, you might be interested that if you took all the 12 days of Christmas and you tried to add up how many presents that you would have to buy on all of those 12 days. You could do it the old-fashioned way and kind of add it up and use your calculator. Or if you really like equations, you could go to the math equation and figure that out. But if you're not interested in doing that, I can just tell you the answer. It's 364 gifts that you'd have to buy for those 12 days of Christmas. I also was interested in the the song Rock Around, Rocking Around the Christmas Tree by Brenda Lee. And uh, this was one of the songs that was, uh, that's popular. And I guess I was fascinated a lot by her hairstyle back then. Uh, that really kind of caught my eye for a 13-year-old to have that hairstyle. And uh, it also caught my eye that th she was just 13 years old when she sang this song. And wow, what a powerful voice that she had. 
You know, these, these songs are all songs that highlight the Christmas season. But today we're going to look at a song that highlights the reason that we celebrate Christmas. And we're going to be looking at a song in, in uh, Luke's account that we call Mary's Song. This was probably the very first, in my opinion, it's the very first Christmas song ever sung. And it's also called the Magnificat because it's ta- that, that title's taken from the very first word of the Latin translation of her, the first line of her song. And this song was also sung by a young teenager, a young teenage girl. And while we don't have a recording of Mary's voice, What we do have is a song that's loaded with theological depth, a song that's blessed and encouraged and inspired generations of Christians for over 2,000 years. Now, when Luke begins his account of the gospel, it's as if Luke has a Christmas playlist that songs that go along with the birth of Jesus Christ And we have five songs that are in these first two chapters. The Song of Elizabeth, we read. Then we have the Song of Mary that we're going to be focusing on. We have the Song of Zechariah, when Zechariah is uh, at the birth of John the Baptist. We have the Song of the Angels, where they sing, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom His favor rests. And then we have the song of Simeon in Luke 2, which when he saw the infant Jesus, he recalled that God had promised that he would not die before he saw God's salvation. And when he saw Jesus there at the temple, he just burst forth in song. Now, it would be a great personal study for you to study all five of these songs in Luke's playlist as as he introduces the birth of Jesus. But for the next two weeks, this week and next week, we're going to look at Mary's song. And we're going to, this week we're going to look at the the background, and next week we're going to go into the text. Now, I've read Mary's song countless times throughout my life, but it never really connected with me. I just, I just really, I read it, I appreciated the words, but I didn't really feel the connection. But this year, as I was reading through Luke, her, these songs, her words from these songs just resonated with me. There was something about this beautiful song that connected with me this year. And I found that her words offer hope in a season of hopelessness. Her words reveal the source of peace in a time of anxiety. And in times like this, when our world is thrown into chaos, her words offer focus. And so maybe this is why these words from her song resonated with me so well this particular year. It's a song of courage and complete trust in God through Jesus. It's important, so it's important for us as we go in and we look at the song to put our text into context. And so we want to look at a little bit of background. For about 400 years, God had been silent. There were no prophets to speak God's word. There were no judges to, to help lead 
the people of God out of captivity. But then in Luke 1, something happens. Heaven is silent no longer, and, and it begins kind of in an unnoticeable way. Zechariah, the priest, it was his time to serve in the temple, and he was in the, the innermost part of the temple, and he was lighting incense when an angel appears. And Luke records it like this, And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call his name John. And then Zechariah asked a question that he shouldn't have asked. He said, how can I know that you're telling me the truth? I mean, I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Can you give me a sign? And the angel told Zechariah, he said, here's how you're going to know. You're not going to utter a word until this son is born. Then we see miraculous the miraculous pregnancy number one. Where Luke records, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. And then, around six months later, the angel makes another appearance, and this time to a young girl living in Nazareth. And we're told that she is engaged already to be married to Joseph. And the angel startles her and appears. He says, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. If you read on in this text, you'll see that the angel tells her more about this child that she's going to be carrying. And then the, Mary asks the angel, how is this going to happen because I'm still a virgin? And then in verse 35, the angel answers her, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. The angel leaves. Now, I don't know how you can read this text without going in your mind, imagining what's happening in the mind of Mary at this time. An angel has just interrupted her whole evening and given her powerful news. It's turned her world upside down in an instant. The way that she thought her life was going to go is no longer. She probably begins to think, what's she going to say to Joseph? What's she going to say to her parents? How's she going to talk about this in her community? It would be difficult, if not impossible, for her to hide her pregnancy. And who, in their right mind, would believe her? Would believe her story? I mean, who could she talk with about an angel? 
Who would listen? Who would believe her without thinking that she was crazy? Who could she talk to about being pregnant by God's Holy Spirit? Well, right before leaving, if you go back and look at the text, the angel gave her a a bit of very useful information. Mary learned about another miraculous birth to her relative Elizabeth. And she began to think, oh, they would understand. I could talk to them. I mean, talk about an angel appearing? Zachariah would sure understand. And talk about an unplanned, a miraculous pregnancy? Yes, Elizabeth would understand. She was who she needed to talk to. And so we continue reading and we learn miraculous pregnancy number two. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed it with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Can you imagine the conversation between these two women? One Woman advanced in years, and, and I, that's, I'm using Zechariah's words. She's advanced in years. And one, a, a young girl in her early teens, most likely, already engaged to be married. Can you imagine the topics that they might talk about? Concerns, anxieties, what ifs, implications. What would this mean for me? What is this going to mean? For the future. Well, there's a lot that we don't know about what Mary and Elizabeth talked about. All we really know is that they stay, that Mary stayed there with Elizabeth for about three months, which means that she left right before the birth of John the Baptist, most likely, to go back home. But Luke does give us a glimpse into what's going on in Mary's mind by sharing the words of her song. Now, if you go back to the very first part of Luke, you know that Luke interviewed many people, many eyewitnesses to validate, to to gain the information that he's writing about in the gospel. I have a feeling that Luke probably talked to Mary because we know that she, he records many of her inner thoughts. And so I wonder if Luke actually heard Mary sing this song for him. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. Now next week we're going to look at this song in more detail. But I'd like to have uh, just spend the rest of our time today looking at some of the observations that I've made uh, about Mary and how she reacted to this news that totally turned her life upside down. The implications of Gabriel's proclamation would be staggering to any one of us. But you can see that it shook Mary's world. What do you do when your world is shaken? What do you do when you're overwhelmed? 
What do you do when the future is blurred? What do you do with, when everything that you thought was going to happen and be true has to be changed and canceled? What do you do when anxiety and confusion and chaos rush into your world like a flash flood in a desert canyon? Well, I love what Mary does. Mary takes advantage of, of sources of power and comfort that were available to her. And perhaps this is why I, I really connect with this song this year in 2020. Because in the past 10 months, all of our worlds have been rocked. It's, it's all over the world, this pandemic with the deadly virus. And there's been so much heartbreaking loss. So many of you in this room have dealt with that in a personal way. There's been so much confusion, so much chaos, and it's impacted our health, it's impacted our relationship, our marriages, our families. Nothing is the same. Sarah and I started referring to this using the words of someone that we had talked to, referring to the time before. And we just all, sometimes we'll say, well, you remember the time before, because... 2020 has changed so much about our lives. But we can learn so much from, from this teenage girl. The first thing that I notice is that she takes advantage of the power of an understanding community. She goes and she finds someone who can say to her, I know how you feel. She rushes to find Elizabeth. And it, it wasn't a short journey for her. It wasn't just like going next door. Not long ago, I, well, not long ago. It's been over 10 years ago, actually. But it's over 10 years ago, Sarah and I went to a conference. And part of the, one of the exercises of the conference was that the speaker said, you know, there's a lot of power in the phrase, I know how you feel. All of us had been given a white card when we walked in. And he encouraged us all to write, I know how you feel on a card. And then he told the audience, he said, and he went through probably 10 to 15 different scenarios. He's, for instance, he said, if your parents got a divorce... Stand up. And all over the room, different people stood up. And he says, go find someone and give them your card. Within the past year, have you anyone who's had a family member or a close friend die? Stand up. Now go give your card to someone and say, I know how you feel. If you are battling an addiction, stand up and go give your card. I know how you feel. We did this probably for three or four or five minutes. And it must have meant a lot to me. Because as I was preparing for this lesson, I remembered that I still have my card. I don't know whose handwriting this is. All I know, it was passed from person to person to person. And this is the card that was given to me. I know how you feel. I've also heard from you 
Many of you have told me that when you're going through a difficult time, you really enjoy connecting with others who are going through a difficult, difficult time. Someone recently told me after they learned that they had cancer that they wanted to talk to someone who had had cancer just like them. I listened to a couple that was struggling with infertility tell me about the great comfort that they had in processing their feelings with someone else that took their hand and looked them in the eye and said, I know how you feel. And it's not just those difficult feelings. It's also feelings of joy and accomplishment and happiness. You just adopted a child? I know how you feel. You're a missionary returning to life here in the United States? I know how you feel. There's such comfort and strength and power in finding understanding community because God calls us to walk together. We're not supposed to walk alone. We walk with each other. We weep with those who weep and we rejoice with those who rejoice. This is our calling as a church. So I'd like to invite Greg Anderson to come up here with me and, and uh, just like to ask Greg if you would, uh, you know, from your personal experience and from your years of working with people what does it mean to be able to talk to others who have gone through what you've gone through? Well, that's a really good question. <laughs> um, I think I would answer that question from two perspectives. The first would be that it's really important for me um, to be the type of person who can bless as many others um, by, by being someone they can talk to. Mm. So I got to make myself available first. Yeah. A very good friend of mine is a preaching minister for a church in North Dallas who is reaching, I would say, the most broken of the broken. Mm. I mean, people who have got deep uh, drug and alcohol addictions, people who are just getting out of prison, but that's his story as well. And so he is able to look at people, and he's the same brother who told me several years ago the two most powerful words in the English language are, I know. Mm -hmm. So to mirror what you yeah. said earlier. So um, statistics are everywhere that tell us that we've never been more connected because of social media, but the phenomenon that we're also seeing is that we have never been more disconnected face-to-face. Mm -hmm. -face. Um, so I want to be part of the solution not part of the problem. I want to be the kind of person that makes myself available to listen to others. And so that would be part one. Part two would be that um, experience provides wisdom. When I went and bought my first car, my dad went with me. And he was with me every single step of the way. Now, I was really excited about the car. So I was 17 that's immaturity and lack of wisdom. My dad was, you know, concerned about very practical things, safety and, you know, uh, making the payments on the car and those kinds of things. And that's maturity and that's, uh, that's wisdom. 
So I think we transfer that same concept to more difficult times, uh, loss of someone we love, a difficult season that we find ourselves in, um, a pandemic that all of us are in together, whatever that, whatever that might look like, feuding with a neighbor, feuding with a friend, uh, feuding with a brother or a sister in Christ, whatever, whatever is going on. Um, you know, I think what's important for us to keep in mind is that um, we've, we've experience gives us wisdom. So don't, don't hoard, <laughs> don't hide, yeah. don't hoard and don't hide. Yeah. Um, uh, talking it out with someone is just absolutely one of the best possible things that we can do. And sometimes we don't actually hear our our words until they're coming out of our own mouths. And so when I'm in conversational space with somebody, I, it gives me an opportunity to check myself and go, oh, wait a second, that's not, I just said that, but that's not really how I feel. So having someone there as a sounding board is a really, really positive thing. Um, people who love us and people who care for us will give us time to process those things that are going on inside of ourselves. They'll give us space. And even though things may not end up like we want them to, we may not get the result that we hope for, still we have a greater opportunity, I think, to be a healthier version of ourselves. And I mean that in the best sense. I'm talking about healthy in, in Jesus. Yeah. Well, because that's so important, what can you tell us about resources that are available here as a church family where we can connect people yeah. to be able to help them with comfort and growth through even through difficult times. Yeah, I appreciate that, Kelly. That great, it's a great question. I want to keep reminding everybody that why do we as a church exist? Why are we here? Uh, our elders over the past few years have led us into this place that we exist to, to be a place to help others find hope and live with purpose. The key phrase, a word in that phrase is others. We want to be an others-focused church. So when you go on our website, the very top of the website, one of the very first things that you're going to see is um, uh, find, you know, find resources. I mean, there, the, the tab is the tab is right there at the very, very top of the church. Just go to am.church, am.church, and there's a, a link called Find Support. Uh, when you click on that tab, it'll take you to a screen on our website where you'll see links to things like divorce care, things like Samson Society, ministries like Limitless. We also have on our website means and ways to plug into small groups. And, and, and it's possible right now that we need even smaller groups, okay? Um, because it's very difficult for us to find time. Some of our small groups haven't met since March, but we have a lot of folks in vulnerable populations, and so those groups can't really meet. But, but you can get together in a smaller group, uh, possibly, and just ask very simple questions like, hey, how's it going? Hey, what's, uh, what's, what's happening in your life? And hey, can I pray for you? And these are the kinds of things I think that can open the door for us to connect closer and closer. Also, every single Sunday, typically before and always after every assembly, there is always one shepherd. And uh, most of the time, uh, one of our shepherd's wives will be there as well. And there's almost always one minister uh, and generally, that minister's spouse will be in the Welcome Center as well. And that's every single Sunday. There's an opportunity just to say, hey, you got a minute? And take time just to process and do life together. Uh, 
So these are just some of the ways that our church is trying to help. We're going to be talking about a lot more things after the first of the year. Amazing doors that God is open, opening. I can't wait to tell the church about that in January. But we got a lot to pray about and process. So thanks for asking these questions. I hope this helps. Oh, that's so good. Thank you, Greg. And, and I just want everyone to know that we are here for each other. And it may be that you can help by reaching out to someone or we can help connect someone with you because you've gone through something. Or it may be that this is a time when you are really needing to talk with someone. We would love to visit with you. And Greg and I will both be in the Welcome Center after this. The power of understanding community. But also, Mary shows us the power of the Word of God. You know, scholars debate whether or not Mary could have written this song. They say it's too deep. It's too theologically intricate for a young teenager to write this song. And I disagree. You know, Luke says, Mary said, and then the words of the song. But what I, what I think that this really shows is not so much Mary's educational level or Mary's theological uh, depth as much as it shows Mary's hunger for God's Word because every phrase practically in her song, we can, we can draw a line back to Old Testament. In fact, the whole song really mirrors Hannah's song in the Old Testament before she gives birth to Samuel. And then if you look at that, the text... Uh, just briefly, I'm going to run through just real briefly. He has done great things for me, Deuteronomy 10. Holy is his name, Psalm 111, verse 9. Mercy is for those who fear him, Psalm 103. He has brought down the mighty, Job 12. He has filled the hungry with good things, Psalm 107, 9, in remembrance of his mercy. That phrase is found in, in Psalm 89. And so what I've learned from Mary is that when we go through challenges that rock our world, when we face an uncertain future that brings anxiety and confusion and emotional upheaval, the best thing we can do is to draw strength from meditating on God's Word. Someone explained it like this. Have you ever tried to get a beach ball and push it down under the water? You can't really go very far before that beach ball just goes boom and it jumps back out of the water. You see, a heart that's connected to God's Word, no matter what tries to push it down, it comes springing forth with strength and with focus because of God's Word. But also we see that Mary takes advantage of the power of song. Mary combines the promises and the character of God with music, with song. And, and there's something about combining truth with song. The neurologist Oliver Sacks says this. He says, music can move us to the heights or depths of emotion. It can persuade us to buy something or remind us of our first date. It can lift us out of depression when nothing else can. It can get, in, get us dancing to its beat. But the power of music goes much, much further. Indeed, music occupies more areas of our brain than language does. Humans are a musical species. And then Martin Luther, I never imagined Martin Luther being connected with song, 
But Martin Luther says this, beautiful music is the art of the prophets and can calm, that can calm the agitations of the soul. It is one of the most magnificent and delightful presents God has given us. Well, when we, when we sing Christmas carols this Christmas, let's that this is a present that God has given to us to help us remember this wonderful event. When we come together on Sundays and we are able to sing songs, let's not just go through it like this is just something we do. Let's have our minds connect with our hearts in music because that's what music does. You see, Paul recognized this when he writes to the church at Ephesus about songs. He, he, he recognizes that the Holy Spirit will put music and God's promises together. And he says, and don't get drunk with wine for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. You see, if you're a Christian, it's the Holy Spirit that's working inside your soul to connect these promises of God, the character of God, the truths about walking with God connects those with music. And when we come together and see each other, but we should be doing that every day that we live because that's what the Holy Spirit does. Is to realize the power of complete surrender. You see, even, even in the risk of great sacrifice and so much unknown, she says these words to the angel. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. You see, without this, without complete surrender to Jesus as Lord, nothing else really matters. Because it's in Jesus that we have found hope. It's because of Jesus that we can live our lives with purpose. I love what Michael Card and his... His uh, commentary on Luke said that she does not know. One thing seems perfectly clear to her. It is a perspective that will help her navigate the deep waters into which the small vessel of her life is about to go. It will be the source of her disturbingly clear obedience. She perfectly articulates this fundamental reality with her first response to the angel's troubling news. I am the Lord's slave. So what can we learn from Mary's example? The power of an understanding community. The power of meditating on God's word. The power of being moved and encouraged by song. But it all begins with a complete surrender to Jesus as our Lord. We're going to close with a song, the words of, uh, of Mary. If you'd like to know more about Jesus, if you'd like to find out more about what it means to be baptized into his name, if you would like to be connected to someone, to find someone who can talk to you, that can say, I know how you feel. Oh, we'd love to see you in the Welcome Center. Monty, I'm going to turn it back over to you.